Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles International, where all that is is not what it appears to be, especially Mr. Parsons. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone 27 cents. And with me all the way from the land of the Red Dragon is the gold standard in ghost hunting, the TV star of Japan, Mr. Stevie Parsons. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? Ah, you know, better than nothing. Well, yeah, better than 27 cents. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like it. So, anyways, uh, this is another show. This is our 6,437th show. Really? No, I made that up. I thought you might have done. It did have an air of, it did have a strong air of, I just made it up about it. Yeah, anyway, there's, there's a lot of them. And you listen to it, by the way, on uh, Tojanet, Pararex, uh, Planet Paranormal, which is our Are we going to sing happy birthday to the Ghostbusters? Uh, which one? The movie. Oh, the movie. I thought we were talking about the original one from Greece in 720 BC, was it? Oh, uh, no, no. There's, a, there's earlier than that. Oh, earlier than that. Okay. Yeah, Pliny, Pliny's just a Johnny come lately to the party. Oh, I feel free. Yeah, the first century Athens BC stuff. He's, he was a Johnny come lately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, anyways, we've got a great show tonight. And we have. We have a guy on who can't spell his name, so he goes by MJ, which stands for magic, I guess. But anyways, he has written this wonderful blog a bunch and a bunch of other stuff too as well. And including the ghost of Britain or something like that, which is I didn't even know Britain had ghosts, by the way. But <sighs> we invented them. Anyways, without further ado, let me introduce to you uh, a personal friend of Steve Parsons, uh, Mr. MJ Whalen. Thank you. Can Hello. I, can, sorry, MJ. Can I just interject at this point and say, when I was sending you the detail, when I was sending Ron the details about you being back on the show, notice mm-hmm. back on the show. Yeah. Ron, is there a point here? Yeah. You didn't have a clue who I was talking about. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way: if you were 110 years old and met as many people as I do, you'd again, hadn't you? Uh, whatever. I don't yeah, remember you, names. You're like Richard Felix. You just wing it as you go. Richard. Now <laughs> you brought up a, a fine gentleman. He is uh, a fine gentleman, but he just, you know. Uh-huh. Richard is not a, not a man for doing off the cuff. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, sorry, sorry, MJ. It's okay. It's okay. It's, I know what you mean about kind of Richard, and, and, and I've kind of worked with um, an astrologer called uh, Russell Grant, they have this kind of um, aloofness that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's kind of, I'd almost call it celebrity aloofness. Otherworldliness. Overworldly, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, a, bit sur- it's a bit surreal, really. So, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you've just described Ron to a T. 
All right. I, I was just going to say, I, I have worked with Richard, and, and, and I had no problem with him. I didn't find him any surreal. I mean, we're only separated by a couple of days and birthdays, and, uh, you know, I, I, I quite understand him perfectly. I don't understand where yeah, you're getting but, this stuff from. But you probably didn't do it ask him anything challenging like a question. Sure, I did. Now, Richard and, is Richard is. And he told know. me it was the the uh, the uh, stone uh, tape theory. No, he told you my water tape theory. That's another one. Yeah, Depends which just, day. Yeah, Richard. Richard, as you know, Richard and I. How did this get onto Richard? Richard and I are great friends. You started it. I did, didn't I? But bless him, he's the, he's one of the best storytellers I know. He's incredible. And, yeah, he is, is, you know, he holds an audience better than anybody I know, but... Oh, watch the doors, that's why. He's a storyteller. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. so this MJ character, isn't he a storyteller? Nope. Um, I'm certainly not, thank you. No. I, I'm a researcher. Um, you can call me Martin, by the way, not just MJ. I do, I do actually have a name when I can spell it. Um, yeah, very good. Um, and, um, yeah, no, no, not a storyteller. Um, you know, I've been an investigator and researcher for 20 odd years. And, um, and, and basically uh, about five years ago, six years ago, I decided to just concentrate on research. You know, I kind of, I've done the equipment thing over and over and over. And, and, yeah. and to be honest, I wanted to kind of get into the research and, and it was really about trying to look at, it started off really looking at the classic cases and and I wanted to see uh, the contemporary reports instead of reading over and over again the same regurgitated reports and and each writer adds a, a different embellishment and um, and that's kind of where I'm with it with it at the moment is looking at classic cases but also discovering new cases as well that we weren't aware of. Martin, is your move from active research into more research-based research driven by uh, any changes within the paranormal, sort of general paranormal uh, field, um, you know, this sort of difficulty actually investigating? I, th I think, do, do you know, it's one of them things where, do you know, I've, I've done a lot of private cases, um, um, you know, gone out, talk, talk to witnesses, and, and and you know, listen to those cases. You know, sat in a house quietly observing for nine hours, and and I think there's only so much you can do. Where you kind of think, well, what else can I actually do? You know, you've kind of bought the equipment, or you've got friends with equipment. You know, you're monitoring in the environment, you're monitoring everything else. You know, you're looking for things, and and I still enjoy doing that. But I I, I felt on a personal level. You know, I, I wanted to kind of get into something and, and try and, you know, I, I kind of got fed up of reading Barclay Square, um, the famous story, 50 Barclay Square, and, and and basically getting into what was happening at the time, the contemporary reports. And this is something that's never reported. There was reports at the time in the local newspapers. And it's just an utter sham. And the fact that you tap in 50 Barclay Square on Google or any search engine and they, they're all repeating the same story or a story made up by Elliot O'Donnell when actually there's a, a greater truth um, out that can actually be easily found. And um, so that, that's where I came from. I, I, I kind of thought I'm going to put down my equipment and just kind of concentrate on this. Do you think, just, that, oh. do you think that we should stay away from the Internet for our research in reality? Should we go back to old school? 
I, th- I think with me, it was it, just my personal view. Is the only problem is with uh, social media or even the media um, is we've got that problem where you know when most haunted came along, it influenced a new generation of investigators, um, and and that's happened all the way along. You know, back when Strange but True, you know, that influenced people. X Files influenced. We had a whole range of new UFO investigators. Um, and, and you get these influences over and over again. And and I, I just kind of thought, you know, I don't work with any groups. I've worked with a number of post-most haunted groups. I was, I was a bit disappointed, really, because I, I found that there's no experimentation anymore. Um, I, I think they read a set, um, a set way of doing things on the Internet or how they perceive to be a set way of doing doing things. And there's no room for experimentation um, or trying alternative methods. So, instead. so, 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 so Martin, they're kind of like uh, parascience then, right? Well, well not, not like parascience. I mean, I, it's kind of what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to insult Steve now. Um, but now, Feel free. Now, no, to do. me, it, it, it's the post-most haunted. Um, I mean, there are some great people who have come through. Um, but then there's the people who turn up, and, and and it's it's more reliant on on the methods that they've seen on most haunted, and they've not took it any further, like kind of gone an ASAP training course, or you know, or or at least you know try and learn something about the subject as a whole. Okay, uh, and the reason I said uh, parascience because parascience operates by a modus memorandum, uh, you know, they have their protocols. Uh, so it, it, I, I'm not sure if you were saying that we should get away from that type of of investigating and do more experimental investigating, or uh, what are you saying? I, yeah, I, what what I'm saying is 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 basically, you know, set protocols. That's great, and and we have to have those protocols there, uh, or otherwise you can, you know, you discredit your own investigation. And um, and I totally understand that, and that's you know that's got to happen. I, and I think what the problem is now is is we've got to a system where th- there's there's great investigators and there's people who do follow protocols set by ASAP or or the protocols you know that um, parascience do. Um, but I would say, and I don't know if Steve agrees with me on this, but I would say there's 80 or 90 percent out there who are not following anything at all. It's just kind of turn up and and essentially it's kind of a it's kind of most haunted live. With a bunch of with a bunch of equipment, you know, and any evidence so, has to be discredited. So and they they're, they're, they're actually following TV protocol, basically. Yeah, essentially, and that's what it's become, unfortunately. Um, and I think for me, it's, it's two things that I'm disappointed in. Is, is, is number one um, that, that there is no experimentation anymore, um, and, and you know, if that if that's how it is, that's how it is. But secondly. Um, that people aren't willing to learn about the subject as a whole. Um, one thing I noticed, and again, I'm sure Steve can recognize this, is when Stranger But True was on television, which was a very influential program that ran for a number of years, there was a lot of very good researchers involved, like Jenny Randalls, uh, Peter Huff, uh, involved in that program. Um, and that influenced a whole new range of people. And there's a lot of people f- who came on board into the community um, at that time, and they they've learned and they've developed and they've become names within you know the community who you know. Um, and what's what's kind of happened this time is, as you say, it, they're following TV protocol, 
rather than actually learning something about the subject as a whole. And, and I know, you know, and I still learn it. I, I'm a bit like Steve again. You know, I'm searching eBay for old books. You know, I'm looking for new papers. I, I'm, it's a constant learn to work out what people are doing, what research is coming out. And I don't see much of that in many amateur paranormal groups nowadays. What's, in, what's quite interesting as well is that um, you've highlighted the fact that the, uh, the inspiration for the techniques used nowadays, I'm, I'm not going to rant on about a defense of parascience in it here, but is actually TV shows like Most Haunted, Ghost Hunters in America. But uh, when, you, when you actually look at these groups, when you attend their investigations or, or watch clips of them played on YouTube, they usually uh, start with an introduction uh, which goes along the lines of, oh, yeah. I'm sure you've seen Most Haunted and oh, Ghost yeah. Hunters. <laughs> well, we're nothing like that. That's television. That's all faked. This is reality. And then they do exactly what they do on the shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I am going to launch a minor defense of parascience um, because there was a suggestion before that our protocol-based approach is uh this was made by ron is perhaps a little restrictive in that we don't try new experiments in actual fact the protocol is the backbone by which we hang the uh experiments on and we we've actually pushed the boundaries quite a bit with quite radical experiments and we're certainly not um close to to trying any technique uh, but in order to use any technique and to gain results from it, you have to have some form of protocol in place to deal with the the information that you're gaining from the experiments. I mean, ah, totally agreed. So, totally agreed. So that that, it, it's the protocol is only is only the skeleton upon which mm -hmm. the research is is hung. So, so have you developed a uh, protocol for the uh, Ghost Meter Pro? Uh, no, because we don't take that very seriously. But. Um, a little plug before we go on to uh, Britain's Lost Ghosts is that we're, we're currently working with the SPR on dev devising an experiment uh -huh. that, that looks at can spirits actually communicate with the living using electronic devices of any form. Really? This is amazing. So, so it's a very complex question, actually, because it, it, it's a very simple question, but but behind it is a very complex uh, idea. The question has for the years. Exactly. I mean, it, it, we've got to consider telephones. We've got to consider K2s, ghost meter pros, uh -huh. uh, flashing lights on cameras, uh -huh. any form of electronic device. Can a spirit, should they be there and exist, can they, in fact, influence an electronic device? Steve, so, I, St Steve, a little tip, I don't know if you know, but if you get a torch and slightly unscrew it, have you read have you read the the thing i put up today about the maglite experiment then <laughs> I, I haven't no no have you, have you? Funnily, funnily enough i i i wrote an article we we did that some years ago and i wrote yeah. for silent voices magazine uh the outcome of it and mm -hmm. i think it was paranormal lab uk somebody posted uh um, yeah. Uh, they po that's why you didn't see it. They posted the link to the flashlight experiment, so I reposted the Silent Voices um, article. Yeah. Article. So, anyways, I, I noticed in the chat room that Beth had asked, "What's wrong with the ghost hunters? They are scientific. They're about to. <laughs> yeah. They've done for science what Attila the Hun did for spot welding. Uh, do you want to explain that? Well, what did Attila the Hun do for MIG welding, spot welding? Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> 
why are they conceived as being scientific? Because they say that they're scientific and because people perceive the fact that they're walking around with the thermal imaging camera and walking around with, you know, devices that are powered by batteries as, as science. That's not science. I think there's a, there's a hint of scepticism, though, isn't there, there? So it's perceived that they're scientific just because they it, – it, how it's set up is very clever because, because they disagree with certain aspects of the phenomena reported. People who are watching this think, oh, they must be scientific. So it kind of gives authenticity to anything that they do experience, which is wrong. Do you know, it's, it's as wrong as the, do you know, what they're explaining. It's a technique widely used by mediums as well, because uh, many, many mediums will often prefix what they say by, by starting before they're reading or during the reading by saying, I'm very skeptical and I like to take a scientific approach and I like to de to mm -hmm. debunk everything I come up uh, I, I you know I might come well, up with doesn't every, doesn't every group do that though to say that yeah, yeah well, it, I, as, as MJ just rightly said it, it adds credibility or pseudo credibility to lay people who think that because the medium or the ghost hunter is said uh, you know we're using this technique or and we you know we're aware of all the uh, problems with it that they're giving themselves added credibility it's a bit like it's a bit like the argument that some groups use well we know 99 percent of dust um of orbs are, are dust and moisture uh but one percent and they're referring invariably to the one percent you know to their own images of course mm. i use that one all the time don't you remember i do that's why i say <laughs> Anyways, let's talk with our guest because we I don't know how we get on off on all this. You attacked parascience and I had to defend it. I attacked parascience. I would never attack. I'm a member of parascience. Don't you know that? You were a member till about 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's let's talk to Martin. Martin, uh, ghost of uh, I, I keep screwing his name up. It's not called Brit What's Britain's Lost Ghosts. Thank you. I know it's such a cool name too, and and I, I screw it up, but that's that's me. Uh, explain to us a little bit about it, and in uh, you know why you actually uh, put that together. Yeah, again, it, it starts off looking at classic cases and um, I'm going to the contemporary reports, you know, kind of going to the British National Library um, and looking at these newspaper reports of places like Barclay Square. And then as you're searching through the archives, you then stumble um, upon, and, and I'm a big fan of Springheel Jack and another ghost of, of that era. And mm -hmm. I found two or three reports that I'd never read before. Um, and and basically from there, it kind of spiraled out of control. And and I, I found some incredible reports that I have never seen published before. And um, I, I did a book last year called uh, Real American Ghost Stories, where I concentrated on American stories that, again, I try to aim for ones that have never been published before. And and I've literally just this, because I'm now concentrating purely on research looking into it looking into britain's lost ghosts there are thousands of reports um of experiences um that i've never seen light of day and, and i'm not just talking about publishing in the book or you know they have never been seen at all and spr's got a fantastic archive and and again cross-referencing -ref -ref with 
the archive, uh, their back issues and what was reported, there are still thousands of reports of experiences that people were having or were reported in the media. And, and it's a whole side of social history that is missing. Um, there's, there's a lot more going off than we actually realise, especially during the Victorian time. Um, in the Victorian time, I, it's just opened my eyes more than any any book I've ever read because you get an idea of what the how people reacted to ghosts, how they you know what they um, what they used to do when apparently there was haunted houses. It's just it's just incredible, absolutely incredible. I mean, when you talk about Victorian ghost hunters, most people think about SPR, the Ghost Club, you know that sort of level. But mm-hmm. there were people who were ghost hunting in Victorian times, um, but with sticks and stones and, and used to practically demolish a house by trying to look for a ghost. It, it, there was huge scepticism in the masses there. And looking into this, um, again, it's the whole social history side. When there was a ghost scare, you would have 500 to 1,000 people turn up to a haunted house on on the streets across Britain. This isn't just in London. This is across Britain. Sometimes it would be organized by gangs. They would organize a ghost hoax so that they could pickpocket, cause riots, uh, burgle. Um, you know, it, it was it was a it was interesting how various gangs in various cities operated these amazing ghost hoaxes. <laughs> um, and and again, you know, it was. Um, there was one case that I dug out in London where a woman was blackmailed by somebody who, uh, who did some work on, on her house. Um, and she was blackmailed that she would tell everybody that her house was haunted. She didn't pay. And the next day, a gang of 500 people turned up outside. They saw her in the top uh, bedroom window, presumed that she was the ghost, and launched 100 stones at her windows. And uh, it, it's, it's just amazing. Um and and this has hardly been written about. Firstly, about the ghost hoaxes and and the things that were happening there, but also as well is people who were ghost hunting at that time. Um, there were people, usually um, reverends or or people of the cloth, um, usually with gentlemen going out ghost hunting. And um, Steve will know Ciderstone Parsonage as being one of a, cl- a classic case. Um, and again, going to the contemporary reports. Of that time, it's amazing how quickly that story completely falls to bits. There's people who took part in the Ciderstone Parsonage ghost hunt, um, uh, where nine gentlemen turned up uh, to take part, and they all rebutted the case through the newspapers. But again, it has not seen print. And and this is what I want to do, is under the moniker Britain's Lost Ghosts, um, I'm trying to raise money so that we can... Um, myself and a small team can get out to various archives around the country uh, and literally just get into there and, and get digging away and see what we can find. And then what we hope to do is produce a book, and that's really to help us raise money for future projects. And what we'd like to do is produce a website where all these cases will be available to investigators so that they can cross-reference various stories and, and things that they've heard. Because um, what we have tend to find as well is stories change over a period of time and then get regurgitated. So you can mm-hmm. actually, So hopefully we should have a, a, a website or database where people can access these stories and, and also the references to them as well. 
It's, it's, interesting, it's interesting you bring that up because we had uh, Brad from the Louisiana Spirits, and he just did that Geo Spirit thing, which was it's kind of what you're doing, but I think yours is is much more death. But uh, yeah, it's a a noble cause, I think. Anyway, so, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Steve. Go ahead. I so I was just going to say, uh, as MJ was describing the project, um, it it struck me as being an absolute um, cert for SPR research grant funding, although we. Unfortunately, you've missed this year's... Um, Wait a minute, you have money? The SPR offers grants to researchers to support their research. Really? Um, the grant application would have to have gone in, though, unfortunately, by the yeah. 1st of June. But that's yeah. exactly the sort of thing that they would, I'm certain, fund. Uh, I can't speak you know, categorically on their behalf, but yeah. I feel very sure. So it, we can maybe have a chat offer uh, at some, you know, near future. It's a great uh, idea. That, that'd get be that, great, get that underway. Uh, I mean, what, what we're doing um, to start off with is obviously we're doing um, a, a Kickstarter project. Um, and, and that's for two things. It's firstly really to raise the profile of Britain's Lost Ghosts so mm. that we can, you know, bang the drum and say, look, this is what we're doing. And, we're very passionate about it. We, we're keen to do this, um, and and secondly, just start the you know the first parts of the research so we can get out there and and see what we get. And and if we're successful on this first level, then you know to get further funding would be absolutely fantastic. Well, as I say, we we need to talk off air um, in yeah. the, in the very near future because I feel I feel certain that um, the SPR would want to get uh, behind that one. Excellent. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Um, if, you ever yeah. need a, if you ever need Sorry. a branch in the U.S., I would be lovely to do that for you. The Lost Ghost of America. I'm into it. You can't. Yeah, yeah. You, the Lost Ghost, you can't find your way home from the gym some days. I know, but I can get people to do that. <laughs> ah. Delegate. But, uh, delegate. But it was, um, but no, it's it's been a great project, and um, uh, I, you know, I've, I've enjoyed kind of setting it up, and um, and also, you know, just kind of getting these stories out there. Um, how how else can people get behind it, Martin? I to basically go to Kickstarter, um, have a look yeah. on there, and help us in that respect. So uh, go to Kickstarter.com, type in Britain's Lost Ghosts. Um, or secondly, if they would like to help out or get involved, the best thing to do is go to our Facebook page, uh, Britain's Lost Ghosts. And if they're interested, they can drop us a message and we can talk to them further, you know, to get involved. Uh, and we'll, we'll, definitely welcome it. We'll, we'll do that again before the end of the show so that people can rush off and get their pens. Excellent. I think it's a great yes, idea. I, I think it's a noble, noble uh, Thank you, Ronald. Thanks. I do, I do, and I'm not joking around. I'm serious on this one. Uh, yeah, but, but anyway, anyways, we're about 15 seconds in the break, so uh, go ahead. You want to add something quickly? No, no, no. Okay. So, anyways, there's the tunes, which means we have to take a break. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles and the Whoa. most humble Van Helsing right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal Podcast, blah, 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 blah. We'll be right back after all you best.
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be with remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased. We'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk golly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Miller X family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. It's the Ghostbuster theme song. Well, it actually isn't. It's part two of Ghost Chronicles International with the gatekeeper, 27 cents, over there in New England, and me, little old me, the ghost hunter, over here in Welsh Wales. What were you, 35 pence? 35 pence. Ah, good. Yeah. And um, we, we have our guest tonight, who's Britain's lost ghost hunter, or lost to ghost hunting, because they have a ghost researcher, Martin Wayland. Um, before the break, we were talking about a fabulous new project that he's kickstarting. I think is the appropriate term. It is, um, yes. 
So do you just want to quickly, before we go to the chat room with some questions, just quickly refresh everybody who's just tuned in and realised that they missed the entire first half of the show, what on earth we were talking about with this Kickstarter project? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm basically, for a year, I've, I've been running the Britain's Lost Ghosts um, Facebook page, where we try to find um, uh, ghost stories um, that have been lost in time in, in the archives. And we found hundreds and we realized that there's actually thousands of stories waiting to be found. And, um, and you know, what we've done is we've done something on kickstarter.com. Uh, everybody remember that. And if you type in Britain's Lost Ghosts, you will find our project. And you can, play, you can pledge a dollar, a pound, um, or you can pledge a little bit more. And we've organized some special gifts. Um, and this will help us do the first round of research to really get an idea of what's out there. Um, and so we can do further planning so we can find these stories, get them out there, and hopefully, you know, kind of gain a greater understanding of what's gone before. Um, and this is on a social history perspective, on a paranormal history perspective, and get an idea of really what was the situation in the Victorian era and also in the 20th century. Excellent. Now, uh, I've got some questions from the chat room just to work backwards through. Um, just trying to, uh, first of all, from Beth, what is your background? My background? I, I assume they're not talking about the wallpaper behind you. Yeah, yeah. Ah. It's, 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 it's one. A little comedy uh, there. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, yeah, I, well, my, my background is, um, is literally um, I, I had an experience when I was younger and um, my parents were quite scientific and, and skeptical, so they pushed me to try and research and find out what it what it was. And it was a spark, really. Um, that's kind of set me for a whole lifetime of of paranormal research. Um, you know, I, I, basically, I've worked with groups. I've I provided research for uh, for books for various paranormal books. I wrote with Dr. David Clark and um, the Howden. Uh, Howden Moore incident in which we asked questions in the Houses of Parliament about an alleged UFO that crash-landed on the outskirts of Sheffield. Actually, it was a, an RAF cover-up because they'd broken the sound barrier illegal on the Pennines. Um, and and since then, you know, kind of consulted on various television programmes, um, Screen Team, a um, few most haunted, um Ghost adventures, um, and then you can hang me for for all of that. <laughs> so. No, we scream team. I think I'd hang you for. Oh god! Yeah, I, I was there at the I was there at the auditions, and I've got some interesting stories about the people who auditioned and since appeared on that. So, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Picked, yeah, somebody picked a laptop service engineer, didn't they? They did. Yeah, interesting <laughs> that, and, and and then suddenly this whole paranormal history is amazing. <laughs> Um, I'm glad you mentioned mm. science because it's a nice segue into a comment from the chat room um, from, I can't say this one, Destination True. Destination True. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, So-called scientific, I'm quoting directly, there is no such thing in the paranormal. Now, we haven't quite got long enough in the show to deal with that one properly, but uh, do you have any comments on that, MJ? Um. I, I, there is no I, such thing as the scientific in the paranormal. It, no, the, the science should be in the paranormal. And, and, and sadly, I think it, it's a shame it's overlooked. I, I mean, as you know, um, I, I mean, it's like the Haunted Room Project. 
I, I think on paper it was probably a very good idea, uh, and, and I, uh, sadly it didn't work out that way. But um, I, I think things like Richard Wiseman's um, uh, experiments in um, Hampton Court and, and also um, Mary Ki- uh, not Mary King's uh, the uh, Edinburgh Vaults. These are all things that all help us, um, and, and we need to you know embrace the science uh, within the paranormal. Because the problem is, is you know, if we don't have the protocols, as Steve was talking about, how can anything that we provide class as evidence actually be valid? Do you know, it's, and, and that's the problem. Okay, we're continuing back. Um, I don't think there's any more questions. The more comments now relating to our earlier conversations. Um, one, uh, again, from Spooky, you can't assume that because someone says that, that they are sceptical, that they are in, that their intent is to generate credibility, as if their underlying intent is to fool people. I don't think that's what we were saying, Spooky. What we were saying is that often is the case that um, a medium or a paranormal investigator will paint themselves as, a, as sceptical, uh-huh. in actual fact, in practice, um, the methodology, their techniques are leaning much more towards the uh, believer perspective. Right. But that's what I, we're I feel, actually saying. I, I, I think it, uh, it, it, sorry, sorry, Ronald. Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I, I think it, yeah, it's, no, I was just, just, just to kind of back up and, and say that, you know, a lot of people try, it, it, it gives them authenticity um, by saying, oh, we're scientific, we're skeptical, you know, we're skeptical with that, that, that and the other. Come on, let's do some glass moving. Um, you know, it, it, it's that, that that's that that is the issue there. Um, and and, and I and, and the good thing is there are some really good groups out there who are trying to better their game. And 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 problem is that there isn't enough people doing that. Uh, and, yeah. and and this is the reason why there should be an asset. Okay, I I do want to mention one thing. First of all, that I I posted the links to your Kickstarter starter page on both the Ghost Chronicle International group page and also our uh, Facebook page. And if you haven't joined, and it's about time somebody started, we haven't, haven't pressed this thing at all. We should really, Steve, join our Ghost Chronicles International page. Pretend you like us, even if you don't. So there you go. Uh, and one thing I do want to mention is that just because um, – oh, no, I'm going to leave that go. I like – never mind. Carry on. No, 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 no. I, that was obviously going to be something interesting. Go on, say it anyway. <laughs> say it anyway. If you've changed your mind, it's controversial enough to put on there. Uh, yeah. Go on. Okay. So Spit it what out. Was it, what was your comment about the glass whirling? I found that interesting. That's that's interesting. What was MJ? What was your comment about glass whirling again? Oh no, no. We're just saying that, as as Steve rightly said, that you know at the beginning of. Um, at the beginning of um, of a talk or an investigation, people say, "Oh yeah, we, you know, we're skeptical, we're scientific," and and then come on, let's uh, let's go and you know do some glass moving. You know, it's it's how can glass moving fit within you know scientific uh, restraints or, or protocols? It, oh, okay. it really as long as long as you're separating them. But do you exactly. think this, do you think do you think uh, there is a place? in the paranormal for glass rolling? Not necessarily glass moving, no, but I, I kind of like the experimentation working with mediums and, and just seeing where they get their information from. Um, 
I, I was I worked with one particular medium and we took them to a completely random site. Um, and what we asked them to do as well is we wanted them to write down a full week of the television programs they watched, the movies, people they talked to, books they read. We wanted to know what they did in their life for a whole week before we oh. took them to the site. And what was interesting is we took them to a random site where nothing of any history took place. Um, we chose a number of sites, um, took them there, and they picked up a number of things. And the interesting thing was is a number of references that were in there were definitely related to media that they had consumed within this last week. Um, uh, so it, it was quite obvious that one thing that we were not, that isn't often taken uh, into consideration um, is how much external influence uh, happens during uh, readings or, or alleged um, uh, alleged mediumship. Um, and so, so I kind I, I kind of like doing stuff like that. Oh, Martin, you know what yeah. they're going to tell you, Martin, don't you? Go on then. <laughs> Martin, they receive messages from beyond during the week, and that was supposed to be their, uh, that was the information that we received. It was during the week. They knew they were going to go to that site, even though they really didn't, but the spirit did. And so they gave them those messages so they would be able to tell you. Well, it's interesting. Just to give you an example, we, we we took this person to this random site, and and while they were stood there, they went, right, okay, I'm picking up on a gentleman with long black hair. Um, he, I, I get a really sort of authoritarian, you know, kind of, I, I, and he's pacing up and down. He seems to have got the shakes or something, that sort of thing. And I said, well, do you get a name? Or do you, like, yeah, 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 I, I get the name Osborne or, or something like that. And, and we, we documented all this. We recorded and made notes all, all the way through. And we checked through the medium's details. And, and literally seven days before, they'd actually watched the Osbournes on television. And what that person had described was actually uh, Ozzy Osbourne from uh, Black Sabbath. <laughs> well, um, now, that, that's a really extreme case. But right. um, but there are now, – now, if that happens with medium, how much influence actually – is there on the witness when they believe that they've seen something and how so, much, how can you separate it though? I mean, that's, I mean, most of your witness is after the fact testimony. So you can't go back and say, okay, what did you see? Especially you, you, now you're talking about the lost ghosts of England. You're talking about reports and everything that are hundreds of years old. In some cases, you certainly can't go back and find out what they were watching at that time. So. No, no, we can't. But, but as I said before, the, the whole reason behind uh, Britain's Lost Ghost is, is to really gain an insight into the beliefs and the social history of what was happening there. It, it's not an experimentation to find how witnesses tick or, or mediums uh, work. Um, so so it, it's two very different matters there. But it, as I said before about experimentation, we wanted to work with a number of people and, and really see how influences of the venue or influences of media can actually affect a, a witness or, or or a medium okay i mean i, I understand that so it, it's basically research is, is what it is but you're not using you're not applying that to anything well, well no i the thing is is um unless we get um unless we get something pretty meaty like let's say barclay square right. um 
there are many references in the newspapers of the time um, all about Barclay Square, the things that were allegedly happening. Um, but also as well is further research beyond that, where let's say we start looking at who was living there at the time. You know, we can discredit that particular case. However, there's that many cases within these archives. We couldn't couldn't necessarily do that to every single one, but we can gain a picture of what was happening at the time and also what the social pressures were at that time or, you know, historically what was happening at that time in the area. Um, the possible influences. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, there's some good cases we found in Manchester where a number of mills were closing down and before they were closing down, alleged poltergeist activity kicked off and, and, and obviously it was some form of protest because at 12 o'clock every night for 15 minutes, um, the ghost dressed in a, a white blanket would appear on top of the mill and run around <laughs> and throwing, throwing bricks at the, uh, uh, at the witnesses. So, it, you know, obviously we can gain a picture that it, it was right. some sort of protest um, but done in a particular way, do you know, it's it, it, so it, it's interesting to watch it in that respect. How people used ghosts, uh, firstly to, as I mentioned before, to blackmail somebody who hadn't paid a bill, um, or, or you know, uh, to use it for criminal means to, to pickpocket people. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people uh, who use ghosts for a lot of reasons. I mean, there are many. Uh, establishments that like having a ghost because it draws people in, for instance. Uh, so they, they embrace the ghost, even if it's true or not. But but 10 years ago, especially in England, and, and I don't know if Steve should, I think he'll, he'll know this as well, but 10 years ago, a lot of locations would not open their doors because That's right. to them, to them um, you know, one venue... Um, I, Again, I forgot its name. It was based in Hertfordshire, and in the newspapers it was reported that it was haunted. Um, I think it was Burton Court uh, in Hertfordshire. And 10 years ago, I contacted them because I'd actually had an, found an old story from Victorian times where Burton Court family had had this uh, story, and they said, no, we don't want anything to do with ghosts because it will put off the, uh, the weddings. Um, won't touch it. You know, it's um, We don't want people to stop holding their weddings here if they think the place is haunted. And uh, and I believe about five, six years ago, Burton Court actually opened up for ghost hunts for about a year or so before closing again. It's it's much the same out, out here. Um, when I first moved, moved down here, uh, Most Haunted was still running. And uh, a lot of the, the larger privately owned estates uh, in this part of Wales or the larger hotels establishments also were very reluctant to talk about their known hauntings and in the last four or five years certainly many of those have now become venues for the local paranormalists to spend spooky nights and the, and the, and the venues themselves have welcomed them. in fact the venues have actually started in many cases to be the prime organiser because they realise that they're sitting on a lucrative uh, but, but you can't blame you can't no, you blame, can't blame them, because, them at all because I, I I've seen a lot of people say well most haunted is responsible for um for putting up prices or, or or whatever but if you imagine a venue like one near you um you imagine if they're having inquiries every week from people saying we want to hire your venue it, it's it's business sense yeah you know it, it, it's just you know we might as well do it you know get get a staff member to sit in all night um, exactly and it. also if you if you uh, if you have a grade two or grade one listed building that requires uh, 
the roof doing or some architectural working, you're faced with a bill for half a million pounds, which oh. is the case in many places, in you know, Ouch. many instances, then you're not going to turn down a ready thousand pound per week, possibly, um, from people mm. who want to come and spend a few hours there. Well, I talked to the chairman, uh, one of the former chairmen of Woodchester Mansion, and I talked to uh, him and the board in 2005, and, and they told me categorically, if it wasn't for the ghost market, Woodchester Mansion would have been in serious financial trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, the fact that that is still open, it's got fantastic history, aside from all the ghosts, and, and, and it is actually a stonemason school, so it's continuing an old tradition. So in a way, it has done some good there, you know. Um, I, so, so, you know, it does have its benefits here and there. I know people gripe that it's too much money to hire a venue, but I, I never used to hire a venue when I was younger. You know, when I used to do investigation, it was all, you know, try and get what you could, but never, ever spend any money on, on investigation, really. <laughs> I, I know that we, we do grumble, um, but I don't think we've ever resented paying a you know a, a fair amount of money. Um, we do grumble though when the prices and Woodchester is one that I often cite where the price suddenly jumped into four figures. Um, but oh, we four, know, four figures. Four figures. It, it I think it's dropped back down again now, but it peaked mm. at just over four figures uh, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and it, you know when when I first you know encountered this paying paying for a night's ghost ghost investigating, um, and I think that was up at Chingle Hall in Lancashire. Yeah, you you would you would have the company of the host who would then disappear at an appropriate time, and they would lay on you know a bowl of cornflakes, something for breakfast, and you would have some hospitality. But now for that for that sort of money. You don't get anything. You get a grumpy guide who lo- who lets you in, and you know at two o'clock in the morning they're making it perfectly clear they need you to go now. Um, mm. and you're not getting very much for your money. But the thing is, a great many groups obviously you know have to afford this, and they sell the tickets onto the public, mm. and you end up with you know twenty, thirty, forty places being taken up. And when you do the maths, there's actually quite a profit being made now. I wonder why none of that seems to be ever getting ploughed back into ghost research. Sure, I mean, you know, they they have to buy the K2s and their CCTV systems. But beyond that, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of this public money entering or or being sort of returned into ghost ghost research. But but it depends whether that company is an event company or, or or whether it's a paranormal research as you say i'm not you know, sure i can tell the difference anymore to be honest with you because oh, most of the most mm. of the uk investigation groups are, are now effectively event companies because every mm. uh, non-private case they do is publicly funded yeah because uh, you know you don't yes there are there are a handful of groups in the uk who never do public access cases um and don't invite any you know any form of fee paying person along but the vast majority of them that is not the case uh, 90 plus percent um of them are now in a situation where they are uh, having members of the public paying to join them you see that's another, that's another sad thing to me um I, I, the thing is we we wouldn't how can you control the protocols you can't, you can't. It's it's, you can't, it's not an investigation in any sense. Other no, than, it's an event. It's absolutely an event. It's it's totally separate. It's, yeah, I mean, you can't I, confuse the two. 
no, I've got nothing against public events, right. um, I, but they they should be listed separately. Yeah, you can you can take people uh, out into a location and you can show them all of the techniques that are used in an investigation, mm-hmm. um, and you know, take them through the methods, through the techniques, show them the equipment. But it's not, they might even be in a haunted location, but you are not conducting an investigation where the results are going to be meaningful but at the end of the day that doesn't really matter because rather than any form of peer review now people rush back from their investigations we have a we have a an inst- a, a local group here they were doing a castle uh, quite near my uh, quite near where i am at pembroke now it's a castle i know well it's a castle whose haunted history i know well and yet they went along there last weekend on a public uh, event where they enjoyed a nice meal and then they all went for a four-hour ghost investigation. And <gasps> the internet this week has been absolutely full of their pictures of of mists and orbs and people drawing you know, what their interpretations of the man's, what the man looked like over these mists and shapes. And all of a sudden that castle has probably caught 50 ghosts if you look at this group. Because it's not about reviewing the evidence. It's about how fast can you get it onto Facebook. Mm. In fact, the organizer of the event said the day after, can't wait to see all your fab photos from last night. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's – sorry. sorry. No, I, I just wanted to mention that we do – Brian has a couple of comments on on what we were talking about before we strayed too far from it. But go ahead, uh, uh, Martin. Uh, no, I, I was just saying it's. Um, it, do you know, I forgot what I was going to say. While Martin has thinking time, we'll go to Brian, who said it's business sense, but it stops long-term investigation, investigative processes, and comparative approaches to methodology. I know who this Brian is now. For any long-term investigation, it's near on impossible. In fact, Brian, I'd agree and say I effectively. Real tire, uh, real long term paranormal investigation in the old fashioned sense is dead. It's but dead. We, ne- we never used to properly have it though. I, mean, I, I tried to have a, a long term investigation uh, with a place in Sheffield, and, and you know, until the landlord moved, that, that was it. You know, the new landlord came in, and that was it. it it's, but has it, have we ever had a good relationship with a venue where we've been able uh, to do a place like that? We've managed it on two occasions, once with the shipyard and then once with um, another location um, where we were able to sustain an investigation for a period of uh, in excess of three years um, and yeah. put in. We worked out it was something ridiculous, like 15,000 man hours. Yeah. There you go. Um, so anyways, I know we're running out of time. And uh, before we do go, uh, Martin, I, I, you know, you've done a lot of investigating already. Astonishing case for you that... Whoops! That's doorbell, doorbell, <laughs> pizza, pizza from the dead's here. But anyways, what was the most astonishing case you ran across? Um, in the archives. Yes, sir. Um, and this is a, again a major inspiration. I know we're running out of time, but basically, uh, I found a case of a ghost appearing at Summercoats, which is a village or now a suburb of Derby. And, um, and and as I researched further and further into the archives, I discovered that over a period of 70 years, the same ghost was seen and witnessed by the villagers. Um, and, 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 and again, you know, 
um, it, it kind of was inspirational because what we found was that actually by doing this research, we can find these really interesting stories that somehow in the late 1800s that a ghost appeared, terrorized um, a village for a week, disappeared for uh, two or three years and then reappeared. And this happened over and over again for for 70 odd years. And it's either a serial, serial hoaxer or, you know, something interesting is happening where, you know, kind of different people are coming to the village. But it was interesting to read that. And and as I said before, it's a social history because at that time, Summercoats was going through a major period of turmoil. The mines were getting shut down in the area and the mills were opening up as well. So new people were coming to the area. So it, it provides a real window into how people were living and what they were believing at that time. Okay. So we're just about out of time. Uh, could you give your website out once more and, and your Kickstarter website as well? Yep. If you go to kickstarter.com and type in Britain's Lost Ghosts um, or go to Facebook and type, type in Britain's Lost Ghosts, you'll find us. And if you want to help out in any way, whether a donation or whether you just want to give your time, please message us and we'll reply back to you. Thank you. Well, uh, Martin, I want to thank you so much. We've been speaking with Martin or MJ Whalen, and uh, it's time to wrap it up. So thank you very much, and uh, Steve, always a pleasure. Thank so, you. Like, Thanks very much. Like, likewise, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. MJ, I'll talk to you during the week about that funding. Brilliant. Th- thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Yep. Good night. God bless everyone. Good night. Bye-bye. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good 